Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. We are studying another cuisine, so let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a good time for a cattle call. Great, great. Good morning, Dr. Zin. Good morning, Pedro and Brooke. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Great, great. So, Brooke, what is the question that we, we have today to Dr. Zin? Today, our question um, is a question that we've gotten several times from different people managing cattle. So we thought it'd be good to cover here, even though we're past the summer period. Um, Dr. Zinn, could you talk about some feed management strategies for the summer that might help? This actually, this is a very, a very important question, really, for every sector of the feedlot cattle industry all over the world, this is going to always be an issue. And before I can really answer the question, I need to back up just a little bit. Um, what One of the problems that, that we have is that we use the word heat stress. And, and this is, this gets, this creates a lot of confusion. Actually, the animal, the hypothalamus on the animal on the ruminant is trying to control the temperature at a set point between, let's say, 100.5 and 101.5. And, and so what's going to happen is uh, as the animal's blood temperature, so this is the, as the blood perfuses the hypothalamus, then it's going to make some automatic uh, adjustments so that the animal can uh, stay within reason uh, to that set point. And so really what we have is we have conditions of hypothermia or hyperthermia, depending on the situation. And in this case, we're going to talk about hyperthermia, but these are conditions of hyperthermia. And so the animal is going to make automatically, it's going to make a bunch of adjustments to these types of, uh, to the various things. The, the types of adjustments the animal is going to make, some of them are very sh- rapid adjustments. These would be changes in respiration rate, changes in sweating, and uh, search for for cover. Um, a little bit slower adaptation is going to be a reduction in feed intake and and also a change in in uh, cover, in other words, uh, hair coat. So these are so we have some very quick adaptations and some very short, uh, longer-term adaptations that uh, the animals get. All these things are going to be happening automatically. The animal really isn't thinking about this. This is just going to happen. And, and so <clears throat> when we think about uh, what we can do to help the animal as it tries to adjust, is we can think about four different areas that are going to work together on the problem. One of them is, of course, structural, you know, shelter, shade, that type of thing. Another one is going to be just the animal management, how we manage the animal during that period. Another one is going to be feeding management, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And then the last, and of course, what more directly relates to the question is, is diet formulation. So all of these things are going to be uh, important as we anticipate the animal's efforts to adapt to uh, to conditions of hyperthermia. 
And, and so what, what, uh, what we have to understand is that the animal can actually withstand uh, an elevation in body temperature without changing the set point. It just, the body temperature will just rise and rise. And really the rise in body temperature itself isn't a problem until it gets to, let's say around 104, 104 and a half. When it gets to that, now the animal could be in a difficult situation. Okay, having said that, um, in a normal feeding period, let's say, uh, the body temperature may actually normally go above that, but it would only be for like an hour or a very short period of time, and then it would come back down again. And so you can see that there will be a, a little cycle through. This is this is would be more normal and not something that would be life-threatening or, or difficult for the animal. However, some animals in particular have great difficulty in making all these accommodations. There, there's a lot of other background problems that, that uh, cause the animal to have difficulty. But what we wanna do is we wanna be careful that the animal uh, core temperature doesn't get to that 104, 104 and a half number for a prolonged period of time. And, and so, so then we have to consider various aspects. One of them, of course, is, uh, is shade. And uh, so this, if an animal has access to adequate shade and space, then uh, they can, then they're able to deal with the temperature a lot better. If uh, the other thing, of course, is what we mentioned is the animal management. Um, just moving that animal, just the exercise of moving and the excitement and everything associated with it itself will raise the body temperature one or two or even three degrees. And so, um, you know, like, for example, at the, at the research center, we, we our protocol is we do not handle cattle when the temperature humidity index is 80 or greater. And this can happen early in the morning. It doesn't have to be, you know, when the sun's out. So, um, so being very careful about, about that is, is especially important. And, and while I'm on that, I'm gonna say that we have to be very, very careful because nowadays we know a little bit about the weather. We understand, we can anticipate the, the weather much better than let's say in previous years. And so it should be no surprise to a feedlot that there's going to be a, a serious event in terms of temperature humidity indexes. They can anticipate that with days and many days in advance, maybe four days in advance, they can anticipate that. And so it's, it's very unfortunate if uh, animal management doesn't take that into consideration. And, and this is especially important in receiving cattle. In other words, uh, if, you're, if you're buying cattle and, and you recognize, wait a minute, you know, the temperature is gonna be extremely high when these cattle come in, then you should delay the shipment of those cattle. Now, you see what I'm saying? This is a, there's just some things we can do that are very logical. But oftentimes we just go forward. We just whatever. We'll just take it, and and then 
we, you know, some of the cattle are going to be hurt by that, by that process. And, but then moving on to, to this animal management uh, handling, this, one of the, one of the things that really can affect feeding management is, is the, is when we handle cattle, like taking them off to give an implant or whatever, they're going to lose part of the feeding. And, and so what happens is then when they come back, they're going to eat a lot of feed. And, and so this sets that animal up for not all of them, but many animals in uh, very susceptible to that tent for getting too hot and, uh, and then succumbing to the, to the problem. And, uh, and so the, the other thing, of course, is the feeding management is that you want to make sure that the cattle always have feed during that period because uh, you don't want cattle to be hungry and then all of a sudden eat a bunch of feed. So as you anticipate coming into that, you do not want cattle to be out of feed. And, and this is a difficult task for large feedlots where you have uh, everything going on. All right. So we just, this is going to be especially critical during that period. Now, now we're coming to the diet formulation part, which is really the, the question that's being asked. This is what happens when the temperature gets, uh, core temperature gets, let's say to 104, 104 and a half for a prolonged period of time. What the animal is obviously going to do is going to start shunting the blood uh, to the periphery and uh, an and obvious effort to uh, dissipate the body heat. What this does is this elevates the, the core temperature, especially around the digestive tract, and it creates uh, uh, leakage uh, in, the, in the intestine, especially in the, let's say, the distal ileum and, and uh, all along the ileum, but especially the distal ileum. The ileum is very thin. The membrane on that is very thin. And, uh, and so uh, we have a potential for, for leakage in that area. And, and so what happens is if, uh, you know, when we, if we're substrate down there in the lower digestive tract, which would be normal, if you have leakage, then you're going to have these lipopolysaccharides. They're going to move into the bloodstream and you're going to have endotoxic shock. And that's what kills the animal. The animal's literally dying of shock. And, uh, and so uh, what we... What you can do then in terms of diet formulation to, to protect a little bit against that is to add more forage to the diet. This, uh, what this does is it just protects the animal a little bit about a little bit from this acidosis. And, and so, uh, but having said that, what we need to understand is that by adding more roughage to the diet, we, that alone does not lower the body temperature. In fact, we've conducted a couple of studies where we've looked at forage level, uh, both in crossbreds and in Holsteins, and, and actually core temperature is higher uh, with the higher forage level. So it isn't, it isn't a way of alleviating that so much as it protects the animal against the, the, ins the problem with 
uh, carbohydrate reaching the small intestine that's highly fermentable. And so it, uh, it gives that effect. And so actually, uh, when you feed a diet, let's say that's 18 to maybe as high as 20% uh, for, uh, forage in the diet, average daily gain is actually improved. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we've, in fact, years ago, uh, Lofgren did some work here at the, at the center also looking at this. And, and uh, basically, these little bit lower energy diets, now these, these are steam flake corn-based diets, so they're not like, you know, they're still like 2.15, you know, MCALs, NEM. So they're very, they're high energy diets, but nothing like uh, what we'd see with 10% forage or 8% forage in the diet. And uh, so, again, basically, uh, the idea of adding more forage to the diet is beneficial uh, during these critical periods. And, but we should understand that it does not reduce the core temperature per se. What it does is it reduces the threat of. Uh, of a coliform development uh, in the lower digestive tract. So, you know, that's, um, that's basically the answer. It's really hard for feedlots to feed those higher forage levels because obviously, uh, you know, it, it, it bulks up the diet it, and makes for uh, feed delivery issues and the feed mill, uh, the, forage processing and integration of the diet. These are all complications for the feed mill. But having said that, definitely, if you could feed an 18% uh, forage diet, your cattle will do better. I don't care where you are. I don't care what time of year it is. They'll do better. That's that's great. That's great. Uh, do you have any question, Brooke? No, I think that answered all my okay. questions. I, I just have uh, one, one quick question here, Dr. Zink. We talk about like gradual increase in the heat, uh, and you, and that's probably my question is probably going to be more related to feed management than than the diet itself. But if if we see that there is a heat wave coming, uh, let's say next week, what are the management strategies that we could uh, take to prevent some uh, disorders that this may create? Like you mentioned, not not make sure that we have enough feed, but is there anything else that we could do? Uh, and in regards, uh, to I think the biggest mistake that that feedlots make, aside from all the things I mentioned, all right, about you know the cattle don't have adequate space, they don't have adequate shade, you know, all these kinds of things. They're gonna those those problems are gonna just compound. They're gonna really affect those cattle mm -hmm. and. And so, uh, you know, the insurance against this problem is to have, you know, adequate shade. But having said that, let's just say we're going into a situation where we know it's going to be very high temperature and, uh, and what should we do? And obviously, um, one option is to step back one diet. Okay, to, to back up one diet and, and feedlots, a lot of feedlots will do that. They'll just go ahead and back one diet up. And and then uh, but that's sometimes difficult, especially if you're on a two or three diet program that that doesn't work. So uh, backing up one diet especially works on a four diet program, which is what I would recommend anyway. But uh, 
but the other the other thing though, uh, Pedro, is it it just don't work the cattle. You know, if mm-hmm. if you got a problem, just leave those cattle in the pen. You know, do not. I don't care how important it is to get this implant. Just do not work the cattle, and uh, and that'll be uh, especially beneficial. We we didn't mention this, and uh, because we talked about it in a prior uh, discussion, but feeding the majority of the feed in the evening will definitely be beneficial. But you actually have to adapt cattle to that as well. So it's not something you could just suddenly start doing, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, if if you are in an area where you suspect this, you know, go to to a 30-70 program, 30 in the morning, 70 in the evening, something like that, that will definitely be beneficial. And uh, but otherwise, Pedro, get do not let those cattle get hungry. You know, mm-hmm. keep the feed in front of that. And you know, you don't want to have a if you're using and most feedlots do, if it's a slick bunk management program, do not let those bunks go slick during that period. Do not let that happen. What what should I do if today if we had a big heat wave and cattle decrease intake? But I know that's going to be in a nice weather again. Uh, is there yeah. any like I know you you've you've told us to do something on when when that happens? That, now that's that's a very this is a very uh, real problem. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much in areas like where we are so much because you know the weather doesn't get nicer; it just stays hot, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but in areas like, for example, the High Plains, Texas, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Iowa, all those areas, oh, man, this is a real problem because it can be very nice weather and the next day just extremely hot. And then uh, in a few days, all of a sudden it gets, you know, changes again. The This is a... a Probably the the most important thing that I would suggest in those conditions is to never allow feed intake to increase more than five percent per day. Never let that happen. And and even though a feedlot management plan might be that that is never supposed to happen, it does happen. And so what you want to do is just. Uh, talk to your personnel and tell them, listen, at least during this period, try to be obedient and do not let that happen. No, that that's great because we, I mean, even though we are not on those extreme conditions, like you mentioned, we've, I think like early June, late May, we may, we may face some conditions like, like that. And I remember you telling us, make sure that do not increase the feed more than 5%. Uh, every day. So even I remember we had some students here and the bunk would be clean and they would ask if they could increase more. We would say, no, don't, don't increase that because of this. But yeah, that's, that's really good. Dr. Zing. I appreciate that. It was a, was a longer episode, but I am sure we, we learned a lot. Uh, anything else, Brooke? Nope. Okay. 
So thank you very much for uh, Dr. Zing and Brooke. Thank you for listening to, to our episode. We appreciate that. If you want to receive the transcription of this episode, please subscribe to our uh, monthly newsletter. The link is in the description of this episode. Any question, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. And remember, it's always a good time for a kettle call. Cowboy singing this lonesome kettle call.